Welcome to Head & Neck Innovations, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest innovations, discoveries, and surgical advances in otolaryngology head and neck surgery. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Head & Neck Innovations. I'm your host, Paul Bryson, director of the Cleveland Clinic Voice Center and our Head & Neck Institute. You can follow me on Twitter at Paul C. Bryson, and you can get the latest updates from our institute by following at CLE Clinic HNI. Today, I'm looking forward to talking with my friend and colleague, Michelle Adessa, a speech-language pathologist who I've been working with in the Cleveland Clinic Voice Center for a number of years. Michelle, welcome to Head & Neck Innovations. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's start by having you share some background information to our listeners, where you're from, where you trained, how you came to Cleveland Clinic, and also, you know, your journey to becoming a speech-language pathologist. Sure thing. I joined Cleveland Clinic in 2016 after doing my fellowship here in Cleveland. I trained at MGH Institute in Boston, and I did my clinical training at the MGH Voice Center. My background prior to becoming a speech pathologist was in music. I was a classical singer, so I kind of came to the profession a bit late in life. Uh, So I started again, and I retrained, and now I specialize in voice swallowing and upper airway disorders. Well, we're we're really lucky to have you and, you know, sort of the the background and the, and the empathy and the experience that you provide, you know, to your patients with your care is, you know, just fabulous. Thanks so uh, much. Oh, you're welcome. And, you know, as you, as you might expect, our listeners on the podcast really specialize in a lot of different fields across medicine and surgery. Can you give, if possible, a general overview <laughs> of the overall role of a speech language pathologist? And I'll educate the listener a little bit, just as there's many specialties within medicine and surgery, I think what you'll be surprised about is the specialization within speech-language pathology. That's right, Paul. So speech pathologists work in a wide variety of settings. So we work across educational settings and medical settings. So many people think of speech pathologists just working with children on articulation disorders, and a good portion of us do, about 60% of us. About 40% of us work in the medical professions. And so that includes skilled nursing facilities, that includes long-term care facilities, and also outpatient facilities, as well as inpatient. Both of those services we have here at Cleveland Clinic Main Campus. And so I work in the outpatient area. So speech pathologists work across such a broad range of communication disorders. The ones that we work most closely with in head and neck are voice, swallowing, upper airway. We also work with cognitive linguistic communication issues. Often we think of these after stroke or a traumatic brain injury. We also work with fluency, issues with stuttering. We work with articulation problems in children and adults. So we actually kind of encompass a lot more variety than people may realize. And sometimes patients come in and they think, why am I seeing a speech pathologist if they're here for, let's say, chronic cough? And so we specialize in vocal cords, and so we do behavioral cough suppression therapy. So there's a lot of things that we do that patients, you know, don't even realize are actually being serviced by a speech pathologist. So swallowing is probably the biggest one um, inpatient. So our uh, inpatient uh, speech pathologists are doing swallowing assessments to make sure that patients are swallowing safely while they're in-house. And then, you know, we're seeing patients outpatient for, you know, speech and swallowing as well. 
I also wanted to highlight some of the, the very important sort of pre-treatment and post-treatment work that speech-language pathology performs as part of the team. We see such a broad range of patients undergoing surgery for benign conditions of the upper airway and vocal folds to patients getting complex reconstructive surgery, uh, radiation and chemotherapy for head and neck cancer. And partnering with our speech language pathologists is really critical for uh, not only having the patients uh, recover and hopefully meet their post-treatment functional potential, but even uh, trying to identify opportunities before treatment begins to try to optimize patients as they embark on a treatment plan. Yeah, we call that like prehabilitation to get patients ready for their course of treatment so we can exercise and make sure that their function doesn't decline with regard to speech, swallowing, breathing, all of the things that, you know, really connect us to being human, I think. That's what's special about what we do. Well, I appreciate the diversity of patients that we treat, and I wanted to spend some time today highlighting our work with gender-affirming voice care. For many transgender women assigned male at birth, voice can be a major source of gender dysphoria. Helping these women align the sound of their voice with their gender identity can be a major step towards gender affirmation and really a part of the journey. Can you share some of the insight into the work that we do here and also a recent study you were a part of to identify the most effective therapies and strategies for these patients who come to our voice center as part of our broader transgender care team here? Sure, there's lots of things to dive into there. So the first thing I would say is, we're lucky here at Cleveland Clinic to provide really comprehensive gender-affirming care. We work in partnership with our transgender surgical medicine group and our surgical group. So we have a nice alliance of providers to provide to our LGBTQ community, specifically our trans community. So patients coming here, can be directed by a patient navigator. And so we have like a nice alliance of providers. So patients who come to see us often meet with myself and one of my partners, Emma Laurash. She and I provide uh, gender affirming voice care and voice training. We also have a surgical voice component which you're providing. And then we have, you know, the other specialists and surgical providers who are also part of this care team. So luckily, we're really grateful to have this team of people uh, so we can provide really comprehensive support. So what does it mean for someone to come in and seek gender-affirming care? So for our transgender women specifically that we looked at in this study, so we really decided to do this work, to provide this care. And we personally, I really wanted to make sure that we were, you know, providing the best high quality care for our patients. So kind of looking at what are the outcomes in terms of using a gender affirming voice therapy alone or gender affirming voice therapy and surgical intervention. And so patients come in and they have specific goals about their voice. The care is really patient-driven. So we're working on a variety of things, variety of components of the voice, I should say. So the first thing we think of, of course, is if a person's voice is being feminized, that maybe that the pitch is raised higher than their baseline. 
Well, certainly that's a component of it, but there's a broad envelope of other things that we work on in voice training. And so we work on resonance, which is how the throat shapes the sound. We work on articulation. So how the articulators, the lips, the tongue, and the teeth shape each sound of English. We work on speech rate, how fast or slow somebody speaks, parsing out phrasing, where can they breathe to make the voice sound more feminine? And so I would also see that there's a lot of variability with goals. Some patients want some flexibility. They want to be able to, you know, have increased pitch, more feminine sounding voice, but they may also still want flexibility depending on what their communication goals are. So we work together to their personal goal, and that is very different for each patient. And so in the study that we looked at most recently, we did a retrospective study of about 16 patients who received care here. Uh, we looked at whether patients receiving voice therapy only or surgical intervention plus voice therapy had any you know, difference in their in their outcomes. And I would say my disclaimer about this is that the outcomes we chose may be you know, limiting in the sense that we're not capturing their full experience. So we used two outcomes. The first was increase in speaking fundamental frequency. And the second is a quality of life measure. It's called the trans woman voice questionnaire that was given at the uh, initial visit and then after at, at the discharge. So we looked at the scores on that and compared them uh, pre and post. And very interestingly, we didn't necessarily see a statistical difference in whether somebody had voice therapy only or voice therapy plus surgery. So how that may translate clinically is that I think that the patients are really the ones driving the treatment plan. We're here to guide them, but if they want to have surgery or they only want to have therapy because surgery is just not something that they're particularly interested in for their voice, they can have equal success, at least based on those variables. I would say, you know, those variables are pretty, you know, finite and people's total communication is very diverse. So I think, you know, as we look ahead to, you know, continuing this work and providing better quality care, it's going to be, how do the patients define their success in voice therapy? That's what I'm really interested in finding out. So I think some qualitative work on you know how do patients best define what is success for them? I think they're reassured when they hear, you know, that they can go either path, because sometimes it doesn't work out that they're able to do multiple sessions of therapy. And I'm going to answer a question that you haven't asked me yet, <laughs> which is a lot of patients ask me, well, how long is it going to take me to get the voice that I really want? And I say I don't know, which is maybe a bad answer. I see patients for any number of sessions of therapy that it takes them to reach their goals. That can be three sessions, that can be 10 sessions. That was the average number of sessions that patients had in our study. Or it could be 26 sessions or even more. So I don't think it's prescriptive. I think it's super individualized and very much driven by the patient's experience and where they wanna go with their voice. Would you say that's the most surprising thing that you found is sort of the the heterogeneity of, of the of the of the patients, um, you know, in this journey. Yeah, I think it was interesting for me to see that kind of in a, you know, an objective way in the data, because in some of the literature we look at the surgical data, 
And some of those studies only had patients doing, let's say, three sessions of voice therapy. So what I think is interesting about what we found is that the only thing that was correlated with a greater increase in speaking fundamental frequency was a greater number of voice therapy sessions. So so there may be kind of, you know, a ceiling in terms of how much pitch elevation you can get from, let's say, a Wendler glottoplasty, which is one of the surgeries that you do for um, voice feminization. Um, and I also think, you know, if we're talking about doing this work, if we're just talking about voice feminization, you know, only there, there is, you know, another component where, you know, we have a lot of patients who may be non-binary who want to work on their voice and, it's not so much about sign, uh, sounding very female. It may be sounding different. And for them, they have to figure out how they want to sound different. So that's part of the journey as well. I think what's really interesting about doing this work is, um, you know, I get to know people very well. And so it's really honored to work with them and, you know, serve this population. So I feel really grateful to be part of their journey such hardworking patients who come to the sessions really invested and prepared in their work. So it's so vital to them. And so it's a real honor to, to work with them. There's so many discoveries that patients make along the way. And the longer that I do this work, um, it helps me ask better, you know, research questions and hopefully serve them better. As you, as you look at the field and, you know, in this sort of area of, of the specialty, what are, what are some research opportunities? What are some things that you're interested in or have become interested in as you've, you know, as you've done this work? Yeah. So a couple of things have come up. Um, I think the first is what I just already mentioned is kind of like finding out from patients, their more, you know, qualitative experience with their journey and also maybe how that looks a in terms of a transition across specialties. So we think about patients who may be receiving multiple procedures. At what time point do they have those procedures? And what part of their gender affirmation process, you know, is voice, you know, part of that? Is it starting from the beginning? Is it the first thing? There's no right answer with that. I think it's interesting to find out their their journey. And I would love to do some more like qualitative interviews with patients to develop some better tools for our field to help guide our practice so that we can be as all-inclusive as possible in terms of the communication training that we're providing. So sometimes we even work on things like nonverbal communication. We work on word choice, things like that. So those things may be surprising to our listeners. You know, how people move their face or move their hands or how they move across a room, all of those things can be really meaningful for communication. And uh, we, we sometimes work on those. Sometimes patients don't want to work on those um, or they've already kind of, you know, turned the page on that. So I think also for our transmasculine patients, you know, we didn't look at them in this particular study and our non-binary patients, but, you know, I do see some patients training for transmasculine voice as well. So that's something also, you know, I would love to look more at with our research. Certainly, you know, we're not, as big of a place as New York or San Francisco, let's say, but I think we have quite um, a robust program here to offer Northeast Ohio. Yeah, no, I I would agree. It's been a real uh, privilege to be part of a larger multi-specialty team, and um, I I agree with you. It it seems like we learn you know constantly, and um, you know we try to really create an individualized experience for patients as they you know as we're as we're part of the journey. Right. Um, you know, as we say. 
Well, the other thing I think that's important to kind of identify is that a lot of the people who are doing my job are cisgender white women. So when we look at the field of sp speech pathology, we don't see the largest, uh, you know, group of most diverse, you know, care providers. So I think my hope for our field is in general, we become more diverse. And as we become more diverse, I think that, you know, that can only improve our patient care. So I think, you know, as we have some trans women and men themselves providing this care, I think, you know, that would provide additional insight, you know, for patients. And I think that that could be really valuable for patients. Yeah, I mean, it's it would be a whole other level of empathy. Yep. Um, you know, sort of brought to brought to bear, brought to the table for yeah. treatment. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I just wanted to thank you for you know for your time today, and you know, as we as we kind of wind down uh, this installment of Head and Neck Innovations, any take home messages for our listeners can can be anything really it can be about our voice affirming care program or you know your practice in general. Sure. One thing I deal with on a daily basis working with people and their voices is how important your inner voice is. And so in work with gender affirming care, but also in my work in general, just as a voice pathologist, your inner voice and your outer voice are connected. And when that connection is not working smoothly, whether you know the signal, it sounds rough or hoarse, or that it doesn't sound you know light or maybe it doesn't sound dark, or whatever it is that is not pleasing to you, or it doesn't feel good when you use your voice, whatever that connection is between the inner self and the expression, that is the work that we do here. And I think that, you know, no matter what, you know, the training that I'm providing, I think it's always about providing like the most easy connection, most the most ease and the most comfort when somebody uses their voice, that it's pleasing, it makes them happy to hear their voice and that they can communicate freely. So I think that's the work and the, the take home message is like that inner voice and that outer voice need to be connected in a really you know strong way in order for the person to be happy. Well, I so appreciate that. You've said that so eloquently. Mm -hmm. it, you know, I, I get to see it every day and you know, know that it's, you know, you bring so much passion, the team brings so much passion to uh, trying to help, uh, you know, bridge that gap or, or have that synergy between the inner and the outer voice. So. Yeah, and when that's blocked, patients feel really frustrated, no matter yeah. what the reason. And I think a lot of the work we do in the voice clinic is listening with empathy, right? I mean, our job is to make the voice clear and strong, easily produced, but it's also, you know, validating for patients to be able to express their frustrations with their voice in a safe place. And I think that we, you know, hopefully do that here. I think we do, and we're always continuing to improve that. So, but I think that's the biggest take home message. And I think we all experience frustrations with our communication when we can't express ourselves clearly. Sometimes that's in the written words. Sometimes that's, um, you know, when we're talking. So I think we don't focus on the written word, but we do focus on the signal the, the sound of the voice and also the content of what we're saying. And so speech pathologists work with both of those things and laryngologists as well, so. Well, thanks, Michelle. <laughs> yeah. To learn more about Cleveland Clinic's Voice Center, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash voice. That's clevelandclinic.org slash voice. And to speak with a specialist or submit a referral to our Head and Neck Institute, please call 216 444 8500.
That's 216-444-8500. Michelle, thanks for joining Head & Neck Innovations. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Head & Neck Innovations. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website at clevelandclinic.org slash podcasts. Or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic Head & Neck Institute experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash head and neck. Thank you for listening and join us again next time. Thank you.